Chapter forty three of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter forty three Easter at Turnover Castle. It was not only at Bullhampton that this affair of the Methodist Chapel demanded and received attention. At Turnover, also, a good deal was being said about it and the mind of the Marquis was not easy. As has been already told, the bishop had written to him on the subject, remonstrating with him as to the injury he was doing to the present vicar and to future vicars of the parish which he, as landlord, was bound to treat with beneficent consideration. The Marquis had replied to the bishop with a tone of stern resolve. The vicar of Bullhampton had treated him with scorn, nay, as he thought, with most unpardonable insolence, and he would not spare the vicar, it was proper that the dissenters at bullhampton should have a chapel and he had a right to do what he liked with his own so arguing with himself he had written to the bishop very firmly but his own mind had not been firm within him as he did so there were misgivings at his heart he was a churchman himself and he was pricked with remorse as he remembered that he was spiting the church which was connected with the state of which he was so eminent a supporter his own chief agent too had hesitated and had suggested that perhaps the matter might be postponed his august daughters though they had learned to hold the name of fenwick in proper abhorrence nevertheless were grieved about the chapel men and women were talking about it and the words of the common people found their way to the august daughters of the house of stout papa said lady carolina wouldn't it perhaps be better to build the bullhampton chapel a little farther off from the vicarage the next vicar might be a different sort of person said the lady sophie no it wouldn't said the earl who was apt to be very imperious with his own daughters although he was of opinion that they should be held in great awe by all the world excepting only himself and their eldest brother that eldest brother lord st george was in truth regarded at turnover as being of all persons in the world the most august the marquis himself was afraid of his son and held him in extreme veneration to the mind of the marquis the heir expectant of all the dignities of the house of stout was almost a greater man than the owner of them and this feeling came not only from a consciousness on the part of the father that his son was a bigger man than himself cleverer better versed in the affairs of the world and more thought of by those around them but also to a certain extent from an idea that he who would have all these grand things thirty or perhaps even fifty years hence must be more powerful than one with whom their possession would come to an end probably after the lapse of eight or ten years. His heir was to him almost divine. When things at the castle were in any way uncomfortable, he could put up with the discomfort for himself and his daughters, but it was not to be endured that St. George should be incommoded. Old carriage-horses must be changed, if he were coming. The glazing of the new greenhouses must be got out of the way, lest he should smell the paint. The game must not be touched till he should come to shoot it. And yet Lord St. George himself was a man who never gave himself any airs, and who, in his personal intercourse with the world around him, demanded much less acknowledgment of his magnificence than did his father. And now, during this Easter week, Lord St. George came down to the castle, intending to kill two birds with one stone, to take his parliamentary holiday, and to do a little business with his father. It not infrequently came to pass that he found it necessary to repress the energy of his father's august magnificence. He would go so far as to remind his father that in these days marquises were not very different from other people, except in this, that they perhaps might have more money. The marquis would fret in silence, not daring to commit himself to an argument with his son, and would in secret lament over the altered ideas of the age. 
it was his theory of politics that the old distances should be maintained and that the head of a great family should be a patriarch entitled to obedience from those around him it was his son's idea that every man was entitled to as much obedience as his money would buy and to no more this was very lamentable to the marquis but nevertheless his son was the coming man and even this must be borne i'm sorry about this chapel at bullhampton said the son to the father after dinner why sorry st george i thought you would have been of opinion that the dissenters should have a chapel certainly they should if they are fools enough to want to build a place to pray in when they have got one already built for them there's no reason on earth why they shouldn't have a chapel seeing that nothing that we can do will save them from schism we can't prevent dissent st george we can't prevent it because in religion as in everything else men like to manage themselves this farmer or that tradesman becomes a dissenter because he can be somebody in the management of his chapel and would be nobody in regard to the parish church that is very dreadful not worse than our own people who remain with us because it sounds the most respectable not one in fifty really believes that this or that form of worship is more likely to send him to heaven than any other i certainly claim myself to be one of the few said the marquis no doubt and so you ought my lord as every advantage has been given you but to come back to bullhampton chapel don't you think we could move it away from the parson's gate they have built it now st george they can't have finished it yet you wouldn't have me ask them to pull it down packer was here yesterday and said that the framework of the roof was up what made them hurry it in that way spite against the vicar i suppose he is a most objectionable man st george most insolent overbearing and unlike a clergyman they say that he is little better than an infidel himself we had better leave that to the bishop my lord we must feel about it connected as we are with the parish said the marquis but i don't think we shall do any good by going into a parochial quarrel it was the very best bit of land for the purpose in old bullhampton said the marquis i made particular inquiry and there can be no doubt of that though i particularly dislike that mr fenwick it was not done to injure him it does injure him damnably my lord that's only an accident and i'm not at all sure that we shan't find that we have made a mistake how a mistake that we have given away land that doesn't belong to us who says it doesn't belong to us said the marquis angrily a suggestion so hostile so unjust so cruel as this almost overcame the feeling of veneration which he entertained for his son that is really nonsense st george have you looked at the title deeds the title deeds are of course with mr boothby but packer knows every foot of the ground even if i didn't know it myself i wouldn't give a straw for packer's knowledge i haven't heard that they have even raised the question themselves i am told that they will do so that they say it is common land it's quite clear that it has never been either let or enclosed you might say the same of the bit of green that lies outside the park gate where the great oak stands but i don't suppose that that is common i don't say that this is but i do say there may be difficulty of proof and that to be driven to the proof in such a matter would be disagreeable what would you do then take the bull by the horns and move the chapel at our own expense to some site that shall be altogether unobjectionable we should be owning ourselves wrong augustus and why not i cannot see what disgrace there is in coming forward handsomely and telling the truth when the land was given we thought it was our own there has come up a shadow of a doubt 
and sooner than be in the wrong we give another sight and take all the expense i think that would be the right sort of thing to do lord st george returned to town two days afterward and the marquis was left with the dilemma on his mind lord st george though he would frequently interfere in matters connected with the property in the manner described would never dictate and seldom insist he had said what he had got to say and the marquis was left to act for himself but the old lord had learned to feel that he was sure to fall into some pit whenever he declined to follow his son's advice his son had a painful way of being right that was a great trouble to him and this was a question which touched him very nearly it was not only that he must yield to mr fenwick before the eyes of mr puddleham and all the people of bullhampton but that he must confess his own ignorance as to the borders of his own property and must abandon a bit of land which he believed to belong to the stout estate now if there was a point in his religion as to which lord trowbridge was more staunch than another it was as to the removal of landmarks he did not covet his neighbour's land but he was most resolute that no stranger should during his reign ever possess a rood of his own End of chapter forty three